Welcome to the Hills. All of you in person at one of our campuses in Keller, West Fort Worth, or North Richland Hills, and especially all of you that are watching online. Thank you for being with us today. So I want to begin with just five words. Five words that believers and unbelievers, people who read the Bible and people who don't, are familiar with. Five of the best known and most loved words in the world. And here they are. The Lord is my shepherd. It is impossible to count the hundreds of millions of people who have been blessed and comforted by those words. The Lord is my shepherd. The first line of the most famous song ever written. And the Lord is my shepherd is a comfort. But do you realize it's also an indictment? See, throughout the scripture, we are compared to sheep. And well, let's be honest. Uh, that's not exactly flattering. Sheep are not particularly known for their intelligence or their obedience. For example, watch this short video clip and you'll see what I mean. Okay, you get my point. It's not exactly a compliment to be compared to a sheep. Sheep can be stupid and sheep can be stubborn. Their weak mind can be accompanied by an incredibly strong will. But a good shepherd will search even for the rebel. And a good father will too. So we're in a series called Find Your One. You can open your Bibles to Luke 15. And Jesus in that chapter is explaining why he spends so much time with people who are far from God. And he tells stories about the heart of a God who wants to find those who are lost. We saw a story about a lost sheep and last time about a lost coin. But today we're going to look at a story about a lost son, which just might be the greatest story ever told. So read with me. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him to, into his fields to feed his pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired 
servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. And I'm going to tell you, if that story doesn't make your spirit jump, you might need a reboot. What a great story. But notice, Jesus is so good at finding the lost because he knows not everyone gets lost the same way. Not all get lost by unintentionally wandering from God. Some deliberately choose to leave God because they believe that life without Him would be better than life with Him. Let's be honest. That's what some of you did. You knew exactly where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do, and you were determined to get there as soon as you could. Maybe you grew up in a home or in a school that had rules and boundaries that you chafed against, and you knew the day is coming, and when it comes, I am going to get out of here as fast as I can, and I am going to go do the things I want to do. Let's be honest. In some measure, all of us have been prodigals at times. All of us at times have had things that we decided we're going to do. We know they weren't in line with the will of the Father, but we'd made up our mind. We are going to do what we want to do. See, that is the allure of the far country. The far country is the place that says your will be done. I want to go where my will is preeminent, where my will is done where I can just be me and do what I want and be large and in charge. Such a strong allure. And the far country delivers for a time. There's that space between rebellion and ruin that is called counterfeit pleasure. And it feels good to be in that space, but it doesn't Last, because here's what you learn about the far country. The place where you went because you want to live, my will be done. And then you find out nobody else cares about your will. The world doesn't care about your priority and your agenda and your will. And when the right circumstances present themselves, the world will drop you and let you starve. No one, it says, gave him anything. It's important. Jesus is brilliant by the way he tells his story. Understand, Jesus prioritizes sinners. He makes no apology that he hangs out with people who are far from God. But when he prioritizes sinners, he never minimizes sin. Jesus hates sin because he loves sinners. And he knows what sin does to him. Sin kills, sin destroys, sin diminishes. And by the way, this raises an interesting question. Why is this the only story Jesus told where pursuit of the lost is delayed? Did you notice that? Uh, when the sheep was lost, the shepherd immediately went after the sheep. When the coin was lost, the woman immediately turned the house upside down to find the coin. When the prodigal goes to the far country, the father doesn't immediately chase him. Again, Jesus is brilliant. 
and he understands human nature. If the father had gone after that boy and had caught him before he could have tasted the counterfeit pleasure of the far country and brought him back, that rebel heart still would have longed for what he left home to go get. You know this is true. You know this is true in the life of people you've loved. You know it might have been true in your own life that sometimes God allows us to experience the consequences of our disobedience. And it is actually a mercy toward us because he knows until our rebel heart finds out the real truth about the far country, we will always want to go there. You know, this is one of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery. They understand that when they hit bottom in the far country, it was actually a mercy. That sometimes everything has to go wrong before a person will start thinking right. And so that's where that boy finds himself. Counterfeit pleasure has run dry. No one gives him anything. And he realizes, I don't have to be here. I can go home. And at this point, we've heard this story so much, we don't appreciate what a radical ending Jesus gives it. You see, everybody listening to Jesus thinks they know how the story's going to end, right? So the boy gets up and he heads home. And from a distance, his father saw him and met him at the porch with his arms folded. And the boy gave his speech. I'm not worthy to be your son. Let me be a hired servant. And the father, because he was such a good man, said to the boy, you're right. You have embarrassed me. And you don't deserve to be in my house and at my table anymore. But I'm a good man. I will let you sleep in the barn. I will let you live like a servant, but don't ever try to come into the house again. You see, that's what everybody was expecting. Again, what makes Jesus so brilliant as a teacher is the way he tells stories and he gives them these incredibly radical endings. This ending was startling. It was shocking. It was even unsettling that the father's heart for this rebel son was so full of love that he says, I am going to treat you like you never left. And Jesus' point is that God doesn't see people as good or bad. He sees people as lost or found. And God wants to find every one. Even the most stubborn, willful rebel. And here's the thing. Jesus practiced what he preached. We saw that Jesus said some are like sheep and they wander off like Levi. And he asked Levi to follow him. Some are like coins. They get dropped like that woman at the well. And Jesus found her. And some are rebels, defiant, willful. In fact, I want to share with you now one of the most amazing conversations that ever took place 
because it was between two men about to die. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, there were two thieves, crooks, reprobates, being crucified beside him. And here's the conversation. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Stunning. The most stunning thing about God is his willingness to give his very best to those considered to be the very worst. In fact, here's the great irony. Often it's the people that were once considered the very worst that wind up doing the very best kingdom work. You take Paul, who had murdering Christians on his resume, in case you think yours is bad. Here's what he said in 1 Timothy 1. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. This is what God does. He finds the rebel. He finds the willful. He finds people when they are at their worst. And often these are the people who do the best kingdom work at all. There are people like that in our church. In fact, one of the best and most effective ministers I have ever known had to come to his senses. So listen and watch his testimony. So my name is David Meyer and I just recently turned 50 years old and it's just one of those natural times that you reflect a lot on your life and it's caused me to reflect on my relationship with the Lord and sometimes I wish it were a little bit different but then the other side is is that I'm thankful for the journey that I've been through because it's been instrumental in who I am today. You see early in life the idea that Jesus could provide fire insurance, in other words that I wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell, was incredibly attractive to me. But this idea that he also wanted to be my Lord, uh, I wasn't all that keen on. And quite honestly, I thought I was a pretty good person. Yet we're worshipful people and we're made to worship things. And so I began to worship the things that I could do. I had a career in baseball that that's what became my God. That was my identity. That's where my worth came from. I was a starting pitcher, so I pitched every fifth day. And so my world was redefined on a five-day cycle. If I pitched well, then everything was great with the world until the celebration was over and then it was, oh, I've got to do this again. If I didn't pitch well at all, then the world was broken and there wasn't anything that I could do about it. And then you add into that, if you don't have a Lord, it leads you down a path that you really make decisions that you wish you hadn't. It leads you down a path where you're living with someone that you're not married to. Down a path where you're using people in your life uh, just for the advancement of whatever it is that you want to accomplish. 
man, I was, I was miserable. So I step into my next career. There's this woman that I'm working with that happens to be my boss and happens to be really good looking as well. And, and she offers me this book by Max Lucado called In the Grip of Grace. And so I take it home and I devour the book. Not because I'm interested in anything that it says and I wanted to impress her. And so I bring it back after a couple of days and I said, man, I've read this, it seems great. And she's like, what'd you think? And I said, well, it sounds like this dude's saying everything I have is a gift from God. And she's like, yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm like, no, 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 like this dude's saying everything I have is a gift from God. I don't like this, but it's true. But I got mad, uh, I got arrogant. And I was like, you obviously don't know what it takes to be a professional athlete. You don't understand how much I've sacrificed. And she did something that frustrated me even more. She just closed her mouth and turned around and walked the other way. And she was just trying to bring me peace in my life. Turns out she's been my wife for 21 years now. But as I'm driving home, I'm thinking about the camps that I used to teach. And I'm thinking about these kiddos and their parents would go, teach my kid how to throw 90 miles an hour. And I'd be like, man, you can't teach that. That's a God-given ability. And I was like, what? And, and I found myself wanting to learn more about my Lord. And when it came down to living for him, how could I not live a life that said, I want to tell more people about God. I know what it was like living aimlessly and now being able to live with a mission and a purpose that he gives me, not that I've got to go try to find or try to create, it changes everything. Amen. Thank you, David, for sharing your story. Thank you, God, for finding our brother and calling him out of the far country. They asked Jesus, why do you hang out with these kind of people? And his answer was, these people are on God's radar, even if they're not on yours. And so church, who's your one? And maybe it's time for you to start running toward the person that you have been running from. Quickly, I want to share with you four important principles that Jesus is teaching us. Here's the first. No one is too lost for Jesus. Let me say that again. No one is too lost for Jesus. No one is too helpless or too bad or too late. No one can send themselves beyond the reach of the love of Christ. He can find vilified prodigals and crucified crooks. Again, listen to Paul in 1 Timothy 2. God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Now listen, I'm talking to some of you right now and you need to believe that about yourselves. You've made some mistakes and some bad choices. You raised your fist and you've done some things that you can't undo. But you have not caused the father to forfeit your place in the family. Even when you were in that time that you didn't care about God, you didn't cause him to stop caring about you. You're not too lost for Jesus. Some of you need to hear that. But some of you, what you need to hear is that the person you gave up on is not too lost for Jesus. Maybe you've given up on someone because you figure God has too. Listen, we're going to see next week. Maybe the person that's the most far from God is the person who decides some people are just too far from God to care about anymore. You have never looked 
at any one that God was not already looking for. No one is too lost for Jesus. And here's why. Because anyone can come to their senses. And that's what everyone who loves a prodigal prays for. I have a prodigal in my life, and I pray this prayer every day, that my prodigal will come to their senses. And I don't think it's a wasted prayer. I believe it will be an answered prayer. Here's why. Because everyone is made in the image of God. And because no one is beyond the influence of the Holy Spirit. So anyone in a wrong place can start thinking right. And they must because change of behavior always begins with change of thought. It is truth that sets us free. Again, Paul says to young Timothy in the second letter, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. You see, the people that are far from God have an enemy. They're in a bondage they may not even realize. And when we commit to praying for them, we are committing to spiritual warfare. But here's what I believe. I believe Jesus came out of the tomb. I believe he sits on the throne. I believe the enemy is a conquered foe. And therefore, when anyone comes to their senses and calls out on Jesus, the enemy must release them. I believe this. I want you to believe it too. So pray for them to come to their senses. You never know what God might do or where you might find the next missionary. For example, look at this picture. His name is Justin Wren. Now, I don't know him. Some of you do because he's a famous MMA fighter. And I don't know. And I, honestly, I don't care to know anything about cage fighting. It's never appealed to me. But here's the story. He was an accomplished wrestler. In fact, he was in training for the Olympic team when in a serious match, he severely broke his elbow. The pain was intense and he got hooked almost immediately on pain killers. He lost his Olympic dream, so he found up in the MAA career or cage fighting. But he still had his addiction to pills, which led to an addiction to alcohol and eventually an addiction to cocaine, which ultimately cost him his job with the MAA Wrestling Federation. So here he is, broken, addicted, and wasted. But someone said he's not too lost for Jesus. A friend invited Justin to a men's retreat. And there at that retreat, he heard men telling the story of how Jesus rescued them. And he prayed this prayer, and so honest and bold. He said, Jesus, I am a drunk and an addict. I am a liar and a cheater. And I don't want to live here anymore. And immediately he felt love. He felt acceptance. And he said, I'm surrendering my life to you. Not long after, he had a dream and he told his mentor, I see these people and his mentor immediately knew, you're talking about the pygmy people that live in Congo. Justin goes over and lives a year of his life in Congo, sleeping on their mats, eating their food, getting their diseases. 
and starting a foundation to raise money to bless these people and bring them to Christ. In fact, now he's fighting again and taking the money he wins to send to Congo. Now, I got to be honest. I don't see a cage fighter wrestling people becoming a wrestler against the enemy, someone who's a missionary for God, but no one's too lost for Jesus. Anyone can come to their senses. And when someone comes to their senses, they're going to display honesty and they're going to raise the humility like Justin, like the son, like the thief. They're going to say, I have sinned and my only hope for a better future depends on your mercy. Again, this is what I love about Celebrate Recovery. Go sometime and, and you don't hear people posing or pretending or posturing. What you hear is people pleading, God, not because of my goodness, but because of your goodness do I claim a new future for myself. What they find is a God who is eager to find them. So eager, in fact, that he does all the offering. See, here's what you need to know. Someone must bear the cost of forgiveness. Again, in these stories, Jesus is not implying that sin is no big deal. He's declaring that God can offer his best to the worst because he's willing to pay the cost. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Suppose you run into me and you wreck and total my car and you have no money. And you have no insurance. And my car is a $2 million Ferrari. Now, what are my options? Number one, I can take you to court and, 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 you, and I can demand a court-mandated payment plan where basically you're going to spend the rest of your life in bondage to me paying a debt you can never pay. And by, by the way, I do not own a Ferrari, okay? The elders just lease one for me in case you're wondering. Okay, that's option one. Here's option two. I can cancel the debt. Oh, the debt's still there. But I absorb the cost because my desire to be in a relationship with you is that important to me. Now, any illustration of the gospel is inadequate. The gospel is so mysterious and so big and so marvelous. But maybe some of you for the first time began to understand what Jesus did for us at the cross that we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the penalty. And God so desires a relationship with us that God in the person of Jesus said, I will absorb the cost. Again, Paul said, God wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In the very next verse, there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus he gave his life to purchase freedom for every one. Did you notice the father wouldn't even allow his son to offer to be a servant? He wouldn't hear it. And the thief, what did he offer? He's naked and about to die. He can't attempt a bargain. He can't make excuses. He can't present any merit. All he could do was offer faith, and he did. To a man about to die, he says, I believe you are the king. I believe your kingdom is coming and you are going to be on a throne even though you're about to die. I believe that. And I want in on your kingdom and all I have to offer you is my faith in you. And Jesus turned on that cross and said, that's enough. 
And when he did, every angel cheered and every demon gaped. You see, no one has to make themselves presentable before they can return to God. Jesus didn't say, come unto me, all you who've got your act together. He took our place on the cross so that anyone could take their place at his table. You see, everyone is welcome at the cross. And when I say welcome, I don't mean, well, you could live in the barn. But don't think you'll be treated like you never left. Don't think that we won't remember what you did and where you've been. Don't think that you'll ever be anything less than a second-class Christian in the family of God. Listen, it is not possible to overhype the goodness of God. And it is not possible to overemphasize the expansiveness of the reach of His grace. Paul said in Romans 3, we were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So I want to close with a story I heard. And honestly, I don't know if it's a true story. I couldn't find a record, but I've told it was a true story. It happened at a church that had a ministry to women in the sex industry. And there was a woman who found Jesus, left that career that included prostitution and, and started attending to the church. She'd stay at the back. She kind of stayed on the margins. But the pastor's son noticed her, began to date her and eventually proposed marriage to her. And this caused people in the church to be concerned. Uh, they didn't mind her being in the church as long as she was kind of on the edge. But to become a prominent figure in the church was something they thought was inappropriate. And so they met with some of the leaders to express their concern. And after a while, the wise pastor stood up and said, this lady is not on trial here today. What is on trial here today is the blood of Jesus. Does it forgive all sin or not? Every one can find full and total welcome at the cross. And that's why you won't find any one that God hasn't been wanting to find. And so again, who have you been running from that God is running after? Let's take a moment and let's pray for that one. I want you all to bow your heads. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for a prodigal. It might be someone you love and you're close to. It might be someone you don't like and can barely stand. But right now, I want you to pray for a prodigal. I want you to pray for someone in the far country. I want you to pray for someone who has rebelled and is far from God. Pray for them to come to their senses. Everybody across every campus and online, do that right now.
And so, God, I know you're honored by these prayers. You know every single person who was just prayed for intimately. You know where they are, and you are looking for them more than we are. And so, God, please bring them to their senses. But, Father, I want to close. I want to pray for that one right now listening to me who's in the far country and doesn't feel like you want them to come home. Holy Spirit, would you help them to hear in their hearts, maybe for the first time, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. He wants me. And please, God, let them know they can come home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.